The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. Bible Leviticus chapter 6. No, I'm not preaching the same that Hal did, but I am. I actually go to God and ask him what he wants me to preach week after week after week. I have no will. I'm honest with you on this. I have no will about what I preach. Uh, if God wants me to preach on the same passage every week for 10 weeks in a row, I'll do it. If God wants me to preach on the horrors of homosexuality, and we'll lose half our folks, I'll do it. If God wanted me to preach on the horrors of gluttony and we lose three-quarters of our folks, I'll do it and have done it. I'm one of the few preachers you ever know and preach a sermon a couple times on gluttony. I mean, man, among Baptists, that's a, the unconfessed sin. It's okay in Baptist circles to be obese. It's okay. But it's not really okay to your doctor. Right, Doc? Oh, I got an amen over in that corner, man. And he's liable. But anyway, uh, first thing doctor tell you, I lose some weight. Help your blood pressure, help your diabetes, help, 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 help. You say it's not easy. No, nothing's easy, and everybody has different load to bear on the thing. But I when I was moved to preach on it, I went to the Bible, I prepared it, I preached it, I figured my last Sunday, that's the way it is. And uh I want to talk about this phrase in Leviticus chapter 6, verse 13. The fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. Preached on this one other time, but this I'm sure will be different. The fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. Father, help us. Help us by the grace of God and your power to keep that fire burning upon the altar. That in all, in the power that you have given us to have and the prerogative that you've given us, may we not be guilty of allowing that fire to go out. But may we be credited with carefully keeping and kindling that fire. In Jesus' name, amen. The fire is talking about there as in the, uh, where the, uh, sin offering, the four-horned altar, as you walked into the temple area, the first thing you saw was a four-horned altar. Um, the altar that is referred to in this passage is the one like Moses saw in heaven and copied the form and fashion of it, of it for the first tabernacle. I hope you understand that the tabernacle and its design and its placement and everything was what Moses saw in heaven. Now, what's in heaven is permanent. Okay, so we see that in Exodus uh, chapter 26, verse 30, Thou shalt rear up the tabernacle according to the fashion thereof, which was showed thee in the mount. Moses spending 40 days, 40 nights 
uh, Mount Sinai with God face to face as a man talks to his friend um, to the place where when he came down, his face shone a, a light upon it. And they, they were scared of him and wanted to put a veil on his face. That bothers me that the children of Israel were so carnal that when Moses came down to the mount and his face shone, that it bothered him. Man, that thrilled my soul. Amen. If one of my deacons came up to me and his face was showing and he'd been with God so much this week that his face had a light in it, I'd say, don't put a veil on that boy. Let's get what he's got. They said, put a veil on that. That's, bothering. That's how carnal that group of people were. By the way, that group of people didn't go into the promised land. Only 20-year-old and under got to go in. The rest of them, they were carnal. They were infected with the worldliness of Egypt. Never could get over it. Never did get over it. So he goes up there, and God shows him what's in heaven. Boy, what a, what a privilege that was. Amen. The further emphasis of this, uh, you've got to look at Book of Revelation. We're talking about the altar here. The angel in Revelation 8, 5, you don't have to turn to these. I'm going to go to 8, 5, 9, 13, and 11, 1, just to show you where this occurs at. The angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth, and there were voices and thunderings and lightning. What I'm saying there is there's an altar in heaven. It has fire in it. In 9, 13, it says, The sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. So there in, in Revelation chapter 9, and, and verse 13, it shows and talks about this four-horned altar that Moses actually had seen. So from the very, uh, literally, beginning of Pentateuch of the Bible, the beginning of the first five books, all the way to the book of Revelation, we see in heaven, when it's recorded for us, that there is a place in heaven that this pattern was taken from that's still there. Revelation 11, 1 says, There was given me a reed like a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar. And so... Again, he referring to that altar we're talking about. All these three passages testify of a heavenly altar seen by Moses and John some 1,500 years apart from each other. The altar referred to here in Leviticus 6.13 is that four-horned brazen altar that stood at the entrance to the court. It was the first thing as a Jewish believer that you saw when you entered into the court of God to meet with God. Why did you want to go in there? You wanted to meet with God. You had a need. You know you needed to meet with him. And the first thing God deals with is your sin. If you want to get with God tonight, the first thing you got to deal with is your sin. It's not coincidental that when you walked into the court that there was a four-horned altar where your sacrifice for sin must go and be burned. Before you go past that and before you mess with God, you got to make sure the sin question squared away. Uh, has your sin question been squared away tonight? Have you, have you gone to the cross on that altar and dealt with your sin with the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God being, having died for you? The altar measured 7 foot 6 inches. I'm going to put these in measurements we're used to. And these are approximate, okay? 7 foot 6 inches long, 7 foot 6 inches wide, and 4 foot 6 inches high. Now, that's not very big, is it? 7 foot is about from here to that wall right there. It's about 7 foot. Uh, a little shorter than Neil Walling, or a little, little taller than Neil Walling, uh, uh, is 7 foot. So it's not very, I mean, it's 4 and a half feet high. That's to be about like that, something like that. Not very tall. So sometimes we get the idea that the things of God were big. 
One of the things when I went to Israel, and I think it was a good thing to go to Israel, is after studying the Bible a while, I was 40-some years old when my wife and I got to go, is things were so small. And the distances were so small. I mean, you folks come from Terre Haute, it's probably about 1,200 miles. Well, from the northern part part of Israel to the southern part of Israel, it's 200 miles. Well, I'm telling you, the Throat Roll is only 300 miles from Terre Haute, or from Indianapolis. The Throat Roll. How many know about the Throat Roll in, ooh, So it, it, it is made of, of, of a shittim wood uh, overlaid with brass. That could be, uh, oh, that's a wood that's resistant to weather. Could be artique or something like that. The brazen altar of Solomon's temple, because there's a few of these. That portable temple didn't last. Solomon ended up building a temple. The measurement of that altar, that four-horned altar there, was 30 feet by 30 feet. Now it's getting bigger, right? By 15 feet tall, and it was it serviced the bigger group of people. Ezekiel and his altar that he saw, the restored altar, and gave his size. He said it was 20 about 26 and a half feet square, and it was about 18 feet high. That was the one Ezekiel saw in chapter 43. It's a little Bible study here. I'll educate us on this whole thing. Uh, Ezekiel 43, 13 through 17. The Herod's temple, this is also, I thought, interesting. Josephus, which is a well-known historian of his time, first century, talks about uh, Herod's temple and the size of it. He said it was uh, 75 foot square. That's the one Jesus saw. That's the one the disciples saw. That's the one when they went in where Jesus says, "Woo." Look at all of this. Jesus said, there won't be one stone standing upon another one here not too long, about 30 years after they crucified him. The Romans came in under Titus and took down every stone and, 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 and took all of the stuff and all of the gold and everything. And, and to this day, I was there. It's just a platform. It's just a pavement. By the way, my tour guide, which was two guys, uh, both the tour guide as well as Dr. Custer that we were with, showed us what he believed to be Solomon's foundation stones on Solomon's temple. You can see them. And he said, the Jews will build on these stones. And it's, by the way, uh, the Mosque of Omar is over here, and the temple of, of Solomon is over here. You don't even have to tear anything down. It's ready to go. Better when the beast comes, when the rapture happens, and the beast is revealed, the children of Israel got everything. They got the ashes of the red heifer already, which they had to get a guy in Texas to regrow them. They got the ashes of the red heifer. They got all the instruments. They've trained the Levites. They are really, they were ready in 92 almost when I was there. But now they are real ready. The Jews are ready to have their own temple. They're ready to start sacrificing again. Imagine being this long without fulfilling the commandments of God to sacrifice on this four-horned altar. So it's 75 foot square, 22 feet high. Give you some perspective. The definition of an altar. Altar means a high place. Altar means a place of sacrifice. An altar is a place of reconciliation, a place where you meet with God, a place where God's presence is. When there was a meeting with God in the Old Testament, often called a theophany, some people call Christophany, pre-appearance of Christ or pre-appearance of God. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, 26, 24 to 25, and other places, 
the, the, the reaction of a child of God was they would build an altar. That altar stood for a place of meeting. It was a place where they met God at that time. And in Bethel, obviously, you know, when Jacob met God, he took some stones and put them together. Now, the Israelites were specifically told, do not carve these stones. Do not put your hands on these stones and make, why? Thou shalt have no, no idols, no graven image of God. So to keep them from doing that, he said, don't, my altars are not to be like the, the altars of the heathen, except for the temple, except for the tabernacle, eventually in Solomon's temple, um, and eventually uh, uh, Zerubbabel's temple, which was a, a reduced version, and then eventually Herodia, Herod's temple. But there was, there was very, the God was very careful. Do not put a bunch of stones on this thing. Just stack some stones up, and it's the place, it's the memory where we met together before. And I'm going somewhere with this, I hope you know. So where is the presence of God today? We know the presence of God was to meet in the place of the temple. It, of course, meant first at the altar where you would sacrifice uh, for your sins, and then at that point you could go in further uh, and eventually the priest could go in once a year to the Holy of Holy and meet God. But really, the average Israelite was pretty distant from God. I mean, it wasn't anything like what we have now. Imagine uh, the privilege that we have. In 1 Corinthians, take your Bible there, in, in chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. He says, Know ye not, in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 17, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Wow. What a privilege it is that God himself at birth, as I mentioned this morning in Romans chapter 8, takes up his dwelling place in us, abiding in us by the very Holy Spirit. First Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own? Now try to visualize this with me and get this good. As a born-again believer, you now have become the place where God meets you. It used to be as an Israelite, you had to go to this place with us and not go without blood, not go without sacrifice to meet God, but through a priesthood. Now, by the grace of God in Jesus Christ, because of what he did, he tore the, the one, no wonder when Jesus said it is finished, the temple of the veil of the temple, a tore, the Bible says, from heaven to earth, from top to bottom, that the way of the holy of holies was made open. So you and I now have the very holy of holies, the very altar of God in our hearts. What manner of person should you be with God in you? The very holy of holies. Only the high priest, only once a year could he go in to the holy of holies where the mercy seat was and, the, and, and sacrifice, but not that, that with not only for the, the sins of himself, but for the sins of the people. And then it was somewhat scary because they put bells on him Make sure that if he was lying or doing something wrong, God happened to kill him when he went in there, they would know what, what was going on. Had provision, probably had a, knowing the Jews probably had a rope on his ankle. Because you weren't going to go in there and get him. No, no, nobody walked into the Holy of Holies without permission, specifically. 
Well, you and I tonight, the very altar of God is in us. The word altar simply means to dwell, to dwell. It's where God dwells. The heart of man um, is, is, is the very altar of God in the New Testament. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 that the very heart of man is where we believe unto righteousness. Proverbs says that we are to believe and we find God if we seek him with our whole heart. The heart of man is what the brazen altar was in the tabernacle and the temple. It is the place where God meets man. Now, if that doesn't shake you a little bit, if that doesn't cause you to want to get rid of some of the world that's polluting your life, something is desperately wrong. Makes sense, right? If God is in you, the hope of glory, and he's manifesting himself to you, it is as natural as a baby crying to cleanse yourself from the filthiness of this world. He that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. It's as natural as a baby going for food. It's as natural as a dog barking. It's as natural as a cat meowing. Well, then what is happening? What's ha- what happens to Christians when they say they're saved? Well, first of all, I wonder, first of all, are they? Do they have the Spirit of God in them? I know Christians can sin and go away, but I don't think that you're going to go very far with the Holy Spirit in you at, without deep, deep conviction. I don't think you're going to stray very far away from God as now that in the holy place that he has within our hearts without some deep conviction. All I can say to you is if you can go out there into the world and you can partake of what they partake, which is offensive to God and an abomination, there's 21 listed abominations to God in the, in the Bible. And if you can do those things and have no tinge of conviction, I submit to you, you don't have the altar of God Almighty in your heart. I would argue to you that you are lacking the dwelling place of God because God makes himself known. How about you? God makes himself known. Does God have any trouble with communication? He's the inventor of all language, amen? He, he knows how to communicate. He taught the porpoises to go. Years ago, I was diving out here at about 50 feet. We were coming in, and if you know much about the bottom out here, it's just like a pool table flat. If you're trying to fish and find some structure, it's the most discouraging thing you've ever seen in your life. You can go mile after mile after mile after mile, and it's just flat. And so I said to my brother, let's stop the boat, throw the anchor out. I want to see what this looks like. So we're 50 feet deep. And we stop, and it's been flat for miles. I said, I just got to see what's down there. Maybe, maybe there's some sort of honeycombing or something going on. So we go down the anchor rope, go down, and it's just beach sand. I mean, it's got little ripples in it, like the beach from the water going over it. It's got little ripples in it. And I tell my, I'm thinking, we got the biggest beach in the world out here. You can go 50 miles of solid sand. And then all of a sudden, I heard something in the middle of my head. The middle of my head in my bone structure. I heard this squealing 
squealing, 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 squealing. It got stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. I looked up at about 30 feet away. That's about visibility that day. It was about 40, 50 feet. And I looked up, and here comes this, this, this herd of something. And I'll tell you, that far away, you don't know. They look just like a shark to me. And I think, oh, Lord Jesus, how long? How long? Is this the way I'm going to go? Piece by piece? I started confessing stuff. I mean, and you know, all of a sudden they came into vision where it was porpoise, dolphin, porpoise, you know, flipper. And, 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 and they came up to us and they surrounded us head to toe. I was about 10 feet off the bottom under me and beside me and all around me were porpoise just far enough where I couldn't touch them. And their big eyes, they were, they were looking at me and their eye would go up and then it would go down. And they were swimming beside, they were swimming in a circle. It had like this, uh, this, this thing, a circle from head to toe and they were sounding us. Man, we were just getting peppered with, with a sonar, it was just in, and it was all stereo, perfect stereo. And I just kept looking at them, thinking, I'm communicating. They know I'm air breathing. They say that they, with their ultra, they see, they can literally see in you. They can see in you, ultrasound. They can see in you that you're air breathing. And I wasn't stressed. I was breathing out of my normal breath. I did have my spear gun with me, however. And I thought about, but anyway, uh, and I looked at those, and, I, and they looked at me, and we had a little moment of, of where, where we almost, and I thought, God made those to communicate. He made all that. Our God has no trouble with communicating. By the way, they left eventually, and I lived through it, and I'm here. Our God has no trouble. And I want you to notice on that verse in, in, uh, in 6.13, the fire shall ever be upon the altar, and the fire shall never go out. If I may spend just a few moments there. The fire in the Bible is often representative of the holiness and very presence of God. It's the manifestation of God himself. Moses at that old burning bush went up to the burning bush and curiously saw this bush burning and it was not consumed. And he goes up to the old burning bush and, and the voice comes and says, take your shoes off. For the ground which you stand on is holy. And he communicated with the great I am, the existent one. And it was fire that would not go out. I'm glad tonight that the fire of God shall never go out. Oh, many of atheists and Voltaire and all that crowd pronounced the pronounced the benediction upon the local church and upon Christianity. Many of the uh, uh, conquerors and, and kings and rulers and false religions has pronounced the benediction on Christianity and says it's over, it's done, it's washed up, it's been polluted. Uh, Gnosticism came in the first two, three centuries and almost completely destroyed Christianity with their false teachings. And the devil, I'm sure he watched each one. Now we got them. We finally polluted. But brother, let me tell you, by the grace of God, the fire shall ever be burning. It shall never go out. 
the fire in the, that, that Moses saw when he, when he formed the tabernacle, the altar of sacrifice, that four-horned altar. There's one in heaven. And far as I can tell, the one that, that Moses saw in heaven is the one John saw in Revelation. And there's still fire on that altar. The Bible says, as I told you, now you and I become that blessed holy place where God dwells. People, some there's a propagating of a philosophy that you can somehow get salvation and lose salvation. What an insult it is for the authority and sovereignty of all God Almighty. The Bible says he foreknew you before the foundation of the world and based on that foreknowledge and knowing what you were going to decide, he sealed you into his body. The word is election. He elected you. And I'm not Calvinistic, but that's a biblical doctrine of election based on foreknowledge. It's not determinative knowledge. It was understanding what was going to happen and reacting to it and sealed us before the foundation of the world in Christ Jesus. The church of Jesus Christ is not iffy. We're not in trouble. It's not almost going to be gone because when everything else and all the dust of this whole world and the philosophies of this world are over, the only thing that will be left is the fire of God. I think of Elijah, Baal, the false prophets of Baal, 850 of them. Here Elijah said challenges all 850, and you know the story. He said, The God who answers by fire, that'll be God. And they said, okay, we agree to that. The Bible says, he said, take some water and throw on my sacrifice. Take some more water. Take some more water. Take some more water. Throw the water. Soak that thing. Because with God, water's not a problem. And brother, the water of adversity is not a problem in your life. The fire of God Almighty will burn in you till forever. The fire that God placed in you was placed there by sacred trust through faith in Christ, and that fire shall never go out. I'm not egotistical when I say that. I'm not trying to be puffed up and say I'm better than anybody else. I'm saying I'm a recipient by grace through faith of the grace of Almighty God based on the resurrection that he offered and, and, and accomplished in, in Calvary, and I am just trusting and resting in the power that God demonstrates. An egotistic. We Baptists are not up here saying you can live any way you want to live. We're saying the opposite of that. If you're really born from heaven and the temple of God's in you, you're going to sanctify yourself for Jesus' sake. That crowd that's out there sinning the way they want to do, that no rule crowd, that new evangelical no rule crowd, I would, I would, be, I would be surprised if, if that whole lot's not saved. Because people that really have God in their life, they're not going to take lightly the dwelling of the fire of God in their heart. I don't think so. How can I keep God's fire burning in my life. You know, the old the priests were responsible to keep that fire burning. He says to them, hey, don't let that fire, you can read the rest of the chapter, don't let that fire go out. He said, you leave that son. You keep that thing going. Now, now it's not easy. Most of you, or most of us are not raised on wood fire or that kind of fire, which is, but you were raised on wood. I was raised on coal. And on coal fire, 
Uh, if you let that baby go out, she is so hard to get that thing rolling again. But if you keep that ember, that red in there, and you can put more coal on it and more coal on it and get it going, more wood on it. But once you let it get cold, ooh, it's hard to start up. These priests were to keep the wood, keep the fire going. Why do I step back in these, this pulpit here and say, read your Bible? Because that's the wood. The Bible's the wood you put on the fire of the blessed Holy Spirit, and he flames up in you. That's why I wore my red jacket tonight. I believe you have to on purpose want to stay on fire for God. I believe there's a part of this deal where you have to want to be on fire for God. You have to say, I don't want to backslide. I don't want to have my fire go out. I don't want to disobey you. God, deliver me from evil. Years ago as a young man, I read through the Bible and noticed that David fell. As our brother Hal pointed out, all these various people of God that fell. You've noticed the same thing. And like Hal said, I didn't feel as I read that, that I was any better than anyone. In fact, I felt they were better than me by a lot. And I thought, well, if those men can fall, man, what in the world is going to happen to me? And I remember having a meeting with God one night. He said, God, please, please don't let me be like David. Please don't let me be like these folks who fell and had great privilege, who took it for granted and got lazy and got relaxed and, and let their, let their, please, Jesus, please don't let me fall like these people I've read about. Please let me be like Joseph. Please let me be like a Daniel. Please let me purpose in my heart to serve the Lord. But I can't do it without you helping me. But I want to see the fire burn in my life. I want to see it ever be burning. Let me ask you a question. You think God answers those kinds of prayers? Well, I think so. I think so. I think he does. I think the trouble with a lot of Christians, we don't pray those prayers. We don't go to God like he's real. We don't go to God like he's our heavenly father and, and say, Father, please keep me from these, keep me from the evil of this world. Preserve me unto thyself. And keep praying. And by the way, I still pray. The Bible says, whom the Lord abhors, he gives over to the strange woman. And trust me, when God gives you over to the strange woman, you're going. You're going. You're not going to be able to resist her because you've been given over. And the reason you were given over is because you were lusting privately in your heart, and God said, don't do it. And you lusted again privately in your heart, and God said, don't do it. And you lusted again privately in your heart, and God said, don't do that. And you lusted again in your heart, and God said, now quit that. And you lusted again in your heart, and God said, brought some sickness or some trouble or some setback to try to get your attention. Quit doing that. And you kept lusting in your heart on something that nobody knew about but you and God. And finally God says, I am going to give you to that and you will not resist it. Ooh, my brother and sister. Oh, God is not mocked. 
whatever a man soweth, that also shall he reap. Oh, the fire of God shall ever be burning upon your altar and your heart, and it shall never go out. I believe, I wonder, you know, I'm getting of the age of, eventually, I don't know how long I will be able to do this. Been here for a long time. God let me, one of my prayers of life was that I could be in a ministry for a long time. I saw pastors move around every three, four years, and I felt sorry for them. If that's God's will for them, God bless them, but I just didn't want that. I believe that the Holy Spirit led me to pray that prayer that God give me a ministry that I can be in a lifetime, and he did. 1980, my little woman and I allowed to come here and be part of this group of people, a little handful of folks struggling, no money, no, just a piece of land given, just on and on, God began to move. There were times I'd go home and say, I wonder if we're going to make it. We had 15 people on Sunday night, and, 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 and five of them were disgruntled. And that was Troy and Kathy. But anyway, uh, uh, you know, I'm coming 64 years old. And, you, you know, if you don't have your mind as a preacher, it's really hard to go on. At any day, I can be gone. And I wonder sometime, God, what will you do with Gospel Baptist? Keep Gospel Baptist going. Will Gospel Baptist turn in on itself and destroy itself? Or will you keep the fire burning? We allow the fire to keep burning here as a as a as a lighthouse to these lost folks in Bonita Springs, South Fort Myers, and North Naples. How many times I've asked God to let us be the lighthouse that He wants us to be? The reason we didn't name it Gospel Light Baptist Church is because we didn't think of it. And sometimes then I rebuke myself and say, oh, Bill, don't worry. God's the one that saves the church. Because the fire will never go. I mean, the people here locally, can it'll go out maybe here locally, but if it, he'll start up in a storefront somewhere else, brother. If you don't want his presence, other folks do. But I want his presence. And I want to see this place go on. I, I hear some of these old northern folks, our church is celebrating their site, 200th birthday, brother. Wouldn't that be great, brother Tom, to know the investment you made here by the grace of God 200 years from now if Jesus tarries, that they're still going on. They still got an old bus minister out there winning souls, going door to door. They still preach out of the old King James Bible. They still love Jesus. They still soul winning. They still believe in the old time religion. The old time religion is not dead. It will not die. Why? Because the fire is ever going to be burning. As God is a sustainer of what he does. He tells these Levites, now listen, now you keep that fire. We have a, a joint airship. We have a joint responsibility with God. He's allowed us to work with him. He can work without us. He doesn't have to have us, but he's chosen to need us. And he wants us to work in joint uh, pair with, pairing with him, partners together with Christ. And so here at the local Bible-believing church here, we've partnered together. We give our tithes and our offerings, and we put, we do our, our voluntary labor, and we go out. But, brother, 
God has to partner with us to save people during that whole thing. I can give the gospel all day long, but he's the one that's got to save people. So he partners with us. That Christian school is a miracle. I don't know if you know much about Christian school. Most Christian schools are in the red and bad shape, have to be propped up. Gospel Baptist, a little Gospel Baptist Christian school has been in the black now for about five years. Uh, in the black, if you don't have to know what that means, is they we took in as much as we spent or we spent as much as we took in or was real close, I think 78 cents, whatever it is. But in the black's in the black. And the biggest complaint I hear with all, including evangelical Christian and other Christian schools in Naples, which used to be open and closed down, some of these other schools have closed down, is because they can't make it financially. They can't make it, can't make it. They keep raising their rates and raising their rates up to ten, twelve thousand bucks a student. Now we're still down at thirty. We're still down at four thousand dollars for a student, and we get fifteen percent discount on the second one, fifteen for the third one, the fourth one, the fifth one, and sixth one are free. Because when God's in something, I've watched him keep it going. The fire keeps burning. The fire keeps burning. What a privilege it is to work alongside Jesus. I hope you know what you got tonight. I hope you have a clue, the privilege, that you don't go whistling Dixie through this thing and then and, and wake up at the end going, oh, man, what I blew opportunity of a lifetime. Don't be that way. Pick it up for what it is. God dwelling in you. Father, help us tonight. Help us to understand that his altar has been placed in our hearts and through the supernatural power of the blessed Holy Spirit, he now dwells in us the hope of glory. Forgive us where we've taken this relationship somehow lately. There could be some in here that need revival to the place where they've, they've gotten so numb with the world that they don't even sense God in their life anymore. They don't really see His hand. They're, they struggle to understand what it means to walk with God. Oh, Father, have mercy on their souls. Help them. Help them. Help them tonight. Father, that there'd be true revival of spirits that you'd wipe away the clouds and that we have a fresh look at the reality of the indwelling blessed Holy Spirit. Use us. Help us to honor you with our walk and our talk. Help us to have a humble spirit, contrite and broken spirit before you humbling ourselves under your hand. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.